Good afternoon. Good to see many of you uh, today. If you have your Bibles, please open it up to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 is where we're at. We're continuing our series, Happy in Jesus, a study through the Beatitudes, and we have come to the final of eight Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And I pray that as we have meditated on these beautiful attitudes of kingdom citizens and have examined our hearts through them, that these quintessential qualities of a genuine follower of Jesus have challenged you and encouraged you to first deeply appreciate the supernatural work of God in us, in our conversion, in our sanctification, our growing in holiness, and second, that it would have appropriately humbled us, helping us realize that none of us, no one here, not a single person, have yet to arrive. And in that, I pray that it would motivate us individually and together corporately as a church to pursue these beatitudes, to know and grow more like Christ by the help and power of the Holy Spirit and also by the loving admonition and care of our fellow church members. To be blessed of God means to have the approval of God and to be known by God. It's to be happy in Jesus, to be satisfied in Him, trusting that Jesus is sovereign over all circumstances through the good and through the bad and through the joys and through the sorrows. And I pray that as New Covenant Baptist Church opens up for public services starting next week, which means we're going to have our signs up outside. Right now, no one else uh, besides us or the few people who follow us on social media or our friends and family know that we are meeting here in this building. But Lord willing, starting next week, we will actively and intentionally engage and reach out to the community around us and prayerfully and diligently invite unchurched friends and non-believing neighbors to join us for our Sunday gatherings, and I pray that we will labor hard to shine the light of Christ by proclaiming Christ's promises to make disciples of all nations here in Rockville and beyond for the glory of God. Amen? But I want to uh, let you know on some insider information today. I want to make sure to be upfront with you so you know what you're getting into, so that you are not caught off guard, so that you are not surprised. In fact, Jesus himself warns us in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, and he explains repeatedly the cost of following him. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verses 27 through 28, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you are desiring to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? So let me ask you, members of New Covenant Baptist Church, in the same way, which of you seeking to build Jesus' church or joining a church plant doesn't first count the cost. As someone once said, to be saved costs us nothing, but to be a disciple costs us everything. Just like anything in this world that requires achieving or attaining something that's worth it, there is a cost in following Jesus. There is a cost in pursuing his righteousness. There is a cost In proclaiming the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a cost to building up a biblically healthy church. And that price, don't be shocked, don't be surprised, that price is persecution. Let it be clear to you, brothers and sisters, that the Christian life is one of suffering and affliction. Remember, the Beatitudes are the descriptions of all who call themselves to be followers of Jesus, all who are citizens of heaven's kingdom, And in today's passage, in our eighth and final beatitude, the reality of persecution is so significant for the believer that the beatitude is actually repeated twice for emphasis, for us to grasp the force 
of this last beatitude. Jesus personalizes even the reality of persecution in the Christian's life from blessed are those from the third person plural in verse 10 to blessed are you, second person plural, in verse 11. When they revile you, when they persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you, that is when you know you are blessed. Hence, as normal as it is for a disciple of Jesus to hunger and thirst for righteousness, as expected as it is for the Christian having received mercy to extend forgiveness and mercy, opposition, trials, suffering is the common mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hence, it's no accident, brothers and sisters, that Jesus presents persecution to naturally progress from peacemaking, uh, something that we talked about last week. As I have shared in the previous weeks, there is an intentional and natural progression in these beatitudes, which requires more searching, more humbling, more dependence on God as we delve deeper into them. Well, when Christians wage peace, where there is no peace, where people are content in their lives, in their ignorance or neglect of God, in their rebellion against God, you can be assured persecution will follow. In a sense, it's precisely because the Christian is a peacemaker that he will be persecuted. But lest you are getting anxious or nervous or fearful of what is presently or certainly coming for you, lest you have second thoughts about following Jesus or joining New Covenant Baptist Church, lest you be discouraged, lest you think Jesus is sending us out as sheep among wolves with no protection and no power. Read Matthew 10, 16 to 23 later, and it'll encourage you. I want to remind you, our beatitude portrays persecution in an entirely different light than what we would naturally imagine. Brothers and sisters, there is a great blessing in being persecuted for Jesus. There is an incomparable reward in persecution. So for the final time in our series, I want to share with you two promises of the beatitude. Point number one, the blessings. And point number two, the rewards of persecution. Last Sunday, I challenged all of us to memorize these beatitudes, and I hope that many of you have already memorized most of it. So in order to help us, let's read it antiphonally as we did last week. I'm going to read the first two verses, and then start, uh, starting from verse 3, I'm going to read the first part, blessed are, and then you read the second part, for theirs or for they, and when we get to verses uh, 11 through 12, we'll read it together. Okay? You ready? Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and he, when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now let's read it together. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. First promise of the Beatitude is the blessings of persecution. The blessings of persecution. Look at verse 10 with me. It says this again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
This final beatitude seems to be the most intense of them all. Martin Lloyd-Jones says of it, what an amazing, astounding, and unexpected statement. He holds back no superlatives there. All the Beatitudes have been searching, but Lloyd-Jones says, but there are ways in which this is even more searching than others. There is a prominent paradox which one cannot ignore. The subject is clearly persecution. The original Greek word has the meaning to persecute, to vex, to harass. Sometimes it means to even pursue someone to death. Yet, notice the description surrounding this word persecution. Blessed are you, or happy are you, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? Something about persecution entails blessedness. Something about persecution entails righteousness and the kingdom of heaven. There is something honorable. There is something majestic. There is something glorious about persecution. To put it more straightforwardly, what the human mind understands to be harmful and painful and fearful, which is certainly true and real to a certain extent. The Bible doesn't undermine our suffering at all. However, what this final beatitude is teaching us is that there is a greater, higher, holier, heavenlier purpose for persecution according to Scripture. So the first question I want us to consider is subpoint number one, why persecution? Why persecution? The 15th century Puritan preacher and writer Thomas Watson insightfully answers the question, and he says that there are two reasons why God allows persecution. Two reasons, two purposes for persecution, God's decree and God's design. In other words, God allows persecution and controls and uses persecution for our good. Now, that may sound strange to you initially, right? God allows persecution decrees, designs persecution. But remember, we just finished studying through the book of Habakkuk a few months ago. God raised up the most evil empire, the Babylonians, to punish his own people. Simply, although God is not the author of sin, although God does not sin and does not perform evil or is tempted with evil or tempt anyone with evil, as according to James chapter 1 verse 13, As Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32 verse 4 says, his work is perfect and all his ways are just. The truth of the matter is our wise and perfect God can and does sometimes use sinful men and already existing sin in our world to accomplish and fulfill his ultimate purposes. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, and we know that those who love God, all things, all things, which means what it says, right? All things, good things and evil things. And God uses all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen? Amen. Furthermore, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, no matter who or what brings the suffering, it is God who sends and wills it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4 says, We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, So that no one be moved or shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed for this. When we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. And as you know, it happened. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 2 through 4. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to be so established in your faith and ready for persecution that you won't be shaken by persecution when it comes your way. 
So my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, let me remind you that when suffering and affliction and persecution and hardship come our way, it is indeed by way of God's divine decree and design. Somebody say with me, help me, Lord Jesus. Well, then what is the purpose? What is the purpose of persecution? Thomas Watson says, and I quote, persecution is the touchstone of sincerity. It discovers true saints from hypocrites. Unsound hearts pretend fair in prosperity, but in times of false uh, persecution, they fall away. Hypocrites cannot sail in stormy death. They will follow Christ to Mount Olivet, where Jesus was transfigured, but not to Mount Calvary, where Jesus was crucified. Like green timber, they shrink in the scorching sun of persecution. If trouble arises, hypocrites will rather make Demases their choice, who loved the world and departed their faith, than Moses their choice. They prefer 30 pieces of silver before Christ. God will have persecutions in the world to make discovery of men because suffering times are sifting times, close quote. So dear friend, you are here this afternoon hearing this word as we're about to open up for public services as an official church. I mean, we are already official, but you get what I'm saying. Examine your hearts, brothers and sisters. Examine your life this afternoon. Are you a saint or are you a hypocrite? Do you testify like Job in Job chapter 23, verse 10? When I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. God allows his children to be in the furnace. Hebrews 12, verse 10, which says, He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So, dear brother and sister, do you, like Job, have furnace faith? In other words, do you have hot faith? Or do you have cold, fizzling, sizzling? No, no, no. Fizzling faith. Watson says again, the cross is physic, meaning it heals. It purges out pride, impatience, and love of the world because God washes his people in bloody waters to get out their spots and make them look white and refined as according to Daniel chapter 12, verse 10. This is the way God separates one and the other. God knows how differently afflictions work upon the wicked and the godly. They make one worse and the other better. Take a cloth that is rotting, If you scour and rub it, it frets and tears. But if you scour a piece of plate, it looks brighter. So when afflictions are upon the wicked, they fret against God and tear themselves in impatience. But when the godly are scoured by persecution, they look brighter. Close quote. So dear brother and sister, in the midst of affliction, when hardships come your way, a simple question for you, are you shining brighter or are you growing dimmer? The fire God puts true followers of Jesus into is not to consume them, but to refine them. Amen? This is why Luke says in Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. But of course, the persecution that the Bible recognizes is not just any persecution. Our passage speaks of a specific persecution. Hence, subpoint number two, what is the nature of persecution? What is the nature of of persecution. This question is perhaps the most important question to consider regarding this beatitude. As Lloyd-Jones once again says, there is no beatitude where we have to be quite so careful. There is no beatitude that is so liable to misconstruction and misunderstanding. There is certainly no beatitude that has been so frequently misunderstood and misapplied as the, the eighth beatitude. In order to understand the blessings of this beatitude, we need to distinguish that the persecution that Jesus speaks of does not merely say, blessed are the persecuted. 
but blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So let me address some of the negatives of what Jesus is not talking about. And here, here they are. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are being offensive and rude and distasteful. Uh, the beatitude doesn't say, blessed are those who are having a hard time in their Christian life because they are being difficult, because they are hard-headed or ignorant or naive or misinformed or immature in Jesus' name. It's also not blessed are those who are being persecuted as Christians because they are deficient in wisdom. They refuse to open up the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God. They are foolish and unwise in what they regard as their testimony. Like those who go on short-term mission trips and go out spreading gospel tracts, leaving trash everywhere, uh, uh, singing Christian songs so loud in the streets, causing disturbances, drawing attention to themselves. It's not going to college campuses or street corners with big signs that say, believe in Jesus or burn in hell. And people throw eggs and trash at you and you wonder why. I'm being persecuted. It's not overly glorifying martyrdom. I'm going to die for Jesus' sake. The right type of persecution is not being persecuted for some personal cause or some social cause. Righteous persecution is not for religious or political causes. It's not when you push the Christian agenda without carefulness and nuance in the name of truth like so many do in social media today. And you get canceled or blocked for being a jerk. And that is not persecution for righteousness' sake, you see. That's fanaticism. That's lacking maturity. That's lacking wisdom. The truth is many Christians bring endless suffering upon themselves and they create hardships for themselves which are entirely unnecessary because they have some rather foolish notion of witnessing and testifying in a spirit of self-righteousness rather than being poor in spirit, rather than being meek, rather than being peacemakers. There are so many Christians who get into trouble in our day because they are confused and cannot discern what is for righteousness' sake and what is not. 1 Peter 2 verse 20 says, For what credit is it if, you, if when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? That's your fault, basically. That's what Peter is saying. So Jesus, to clarify for us, doubles down what the blessing of persecution is more specifically. That's why two verses are needed. Three verses are needed to explain this beatitude. Verse 11, it says, Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The foundational reason a Christian will be persecuted is because he or she is like Christ. This is why Jesus specifies further from what he says in verse 10. For righteousness sake too because of me in verse 11. You see, peacemakers who are called the sons of God, who become like the Son of God, who proclaim the truth of God, will be persecuted. This is why Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. You don't have to try to go looking for it, you see. You, you don't have to wave the banner, I'm a Christian, you see. If you are a genuine, true Christian, the world will oppose you. This is why Jesus says in John 15, 18 through 20, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. If you were of the world, the world would, know, would love you as its own. But because you have not loved the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And our servant died. They put him on the cross and he was a perfect human being. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So, brothers and sisters, this is 
the blessing of the persecuted. You are persecuted because you are a follower of Jesus. Hallelujah. You are persecuted because your life resembles his life. Hallelujah. You are persecuted because you testify of his reality, that he is real, that he is the one true God, and you stand firm in that glorious gospel. You are persecuted because Jesus says, I chose you out of this world. You are persecuted because you are utterly different from this world. Amen? This is why Paul prayed in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed even to his death. You are blessed, brothers and sisters, when the world hates you and rejects you because that is how you know you are rightly following Jesus Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the author of his well-known work, The Cost of Discipleship, says, suffering is the badge of true discipleship. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering of Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called to suffer. It's been told uh, during a stressful time in Charles Spurgeon's life when he was depressed by criticism, his wife Susie took a sheet of paper, a large sheet of paper, and printed the eight Beatitudes on it. And uh, what she did was tack uh, this large sheet of paper that had the Beatitudes over his bed on the ceiling because she wanted the reality to saturate Spurgeon's mind morning and evening. Everyone who lives righteously for Jesus will be persecuted. There is no exception. Brothers and sisters, do these words challenge you? How do you embrace or welcome persecution in your life? How is this shown in your life, in your evangelism? A bit of persecution for sharing the gospel should be welcomed. Amen? Let me repeat that again. A bit of persecution for sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, should be welcomed in your life. It should be expected, shouldn't it? Yet there are some of us who have rejected, who rebuff persecution. As one commentator asks, if anyone claims to follow Jesus and never experience any persecution at all, it may be a reasonable question to ask if that person really is a Christian. If we as evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians in the 21st century, you have never experienced rejection for the sake of the kingdom, ask yourself, are you a citizen of the kingdom? If we have not been out of step with the surrounding culture and suffered its disapproval because we practice the ethics of God's children, ask yourself, are you truly a child of God? Brothers and sisters, let me ask you again, and take me seriously, are you being washed in the font of affliction for Jesus' sake? Are you being purified in the furnace of persecution for Jesus' sake today? To know the righteous persecution for Jesus' sake is to know the blessing, the approval, the favor of God. The blessing of persecution is to know that you are on the right team, on the right track, to know you are being sanctified, becoming more like Christ, to know that Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion what he has started according to Philippians 1.6. And you can live, if you know that you are doing, going on the right path, you can live with confidence of that truth. Amen? To be blessed of God is to also receive promised rewards of this beatitude, which moves us into our second point. Point number two, the rewards of persecution. Look at verse 12. Rewards of persecution, verse 12. It says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You see the scriptures, church history, and the present persecuted church testify, witness 
that supernatural joy amidst trial has been and is the undeniable experience of Jesus' followers. When Peter and the other apostles were flogged before religious leaders in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace in the name. Furthermore, stories like the following are not common in church history, so I'll just share with you one of them. A Romanian pastor was imprisoned and tortured mercilessly and yet experienced overwhelming, inexplicable joy. Locked in a solitary confinement, he was summoned by his captors who cut off chunks of flesh from his body and was then returned to his cell where he was starved. Yet in the midst of this trial, there were times when the joy of Christ so overcame him that he would pull himself up and shuffle about in his cell in holy dance. So remarkable was his experience of joy in the hardest time of his life that on his release from prison and his return home, the pastor spent time fasting and praying all the more that he would remember the joy that he's experienced with Christ in those dark days. When we hear of stories like these, we may naturally ask, how is that possible? It's almost sound, it almost sounds like they enjoyed persecution to some extent. But here's the thing, let me clarify, we must understand to suggest that one should enjoy persecution is to suggest perversion. Persecution of itself is neither blessed or joyous at all. What then is the reason for rejoicing? What then are the grounds for gladness in persecution? Simply because the reward, the reward of persecution is so much greater. It doesn't compare to the temporary suffering and persecution of this world. Specifically, verse 12 gives us at least two answers. So subpoint number one in, under rewards, you are not alone. You are counted among the righteous. You are a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. Amen? Verse uh, 10, at the end of it, it says, for theirs, again, the emphasis, theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. And then again, look at verse 12, at the end again, rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As the blessed of God, not only do you have the assurance that God is at work in you, that God won't give up on you, the reward you receive is the entrance into the family of God, the blessed heritage of God, the good company of God, the inheritance of God. When you share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, you no longer have to struggle alone. You no longer have to do this Christian life alone. You don't have to be scared alone. You don't have to be anxious alone. You don't have to worry alone. Just as you suffer for Christ's sake, those who have gone before us have suffered exactly the same. Look around you, brothers and sisters. This is the family of God. Just as you are suffering in your own life for Christ's sake now, there are others right next to you struggling with the same thing, saying to you, looking to you, saying, let's do it together, cheering you on. That's what it's meant for us to covenant together and to rejoice at each other's happiness and lovingly bear each other's burdens and sorrows as a local church. We are not meant to suffer alone. We are not meant to uh, go run this race and fight this good fight alone. No, it's not. I bet you'd be surprised how much we pray for each other. Sure, in my earthly, immediate family, when I told my mom and dad that I wanted to be a pastor, I was rejected and partially disowned for being a Christian. But here in this company, in this spiritual family, I know that I am welcome and accepted. And so are you, brothers and sisters. Here in this local congregation, we pray for you. We encourage you. We accept you. We admonish you. We take care of you. And we love you. Amen? 
Did you know that around the world today, just in the last year, in uh, year 2020, according to opendoorusa.org, there are over 340 million Christians living in places where they experience high or extreme levels of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were burnt down or attacked. 4,277 believers detained without trial, arrested, and sentenced or imprisoned. And these are just the numbers that we know about. Every year, Open Door USA researches and posts the top 50 nations where it is the hardest to follow Jesus. And some countries are always near the top. And from an article I found on Christianity Today titled, The Prayers and Praises from the World's Hardest Places to Be a Christian, I want to share with you a few praises of Christians in the hardest places shared. From North Korea, ranked number one as the hardest place to be a Christian. This is their praise report. For the descendants of believers in North Korea who have kept their faith despite relentless persecution there since 1945. For building their underground churches and allowing the gospel to be shared in North Korea, even though all churches there were destroyed by communist oppression. For helping North Koreans who are thoroughly disconnected from the outside world to nevertheless translate, print, and share Bibles. Praises report from Nigeria, the ninth hardest place to be a Christian. We praise God for his strength and grace that have kept our brethren in northern Nigeria going in their service and faith in God despite their intense persecution. For providing help and relief for Christians who have been displaced by terrorism in northeast Nigeria. For his intervention in many cases where kidnapped Christian leaders, some with their spouses, have been successfully rescued. From India, ranked 10th hardest place, we praise God for the way the church was and is able to reach out and to cater to the needs of the nation during COVID-19 pandemic. From nationwide efforts to the local church in the grassroots, all reached out in compassion to alleviate the sufferings from their neighbors. From Iraq, ranked 11th hardest place, that Christianity is still present and that the government is trying with all its might to consolidate its strength in its presence and the church still exists. That the Baptist church reached out to many poor or displaced family from Mosul of the Nineveh plains and from the variety of ethnic and religious backgrounds with food and relief and aid. What burden we bear to pray for our fellow brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted. Amen? Hebrews 13 verse 3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them that those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. What a sobering encouragement they are to us, are they not? Brothers and sisters, I can go on detailing the praises and the joys amidst afflictions and persecutions from the hardest places around the world and also from the hardest times in history of Christianity. But the point I'm trying to share with you is that you and I are not alone in this pilgrimage. To know righteous persecution is to know the promise of the prophets who have gone before us who persevered and trusted by God in faith. What a humbling privilege we have to be surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses. But perhaps the greatest reward of persecution is not only to know that we are not alone, that we belong to a blessed family heritage, that we have a great past, that we roll deep, but that we also have a great future. Verse 12, again, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. To truly know righteous persecution is to know full revelation, to know the complete story, to know the final ending of the greatest victory ever fought and won. Hallelujah. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. You know it, right? The best news you will ever hear, the reason for your rejoicing. 
that God who created all things and created us in law for his own glory and our good. But man, having been tempted by Satan, chose to be our own gods, deliberately disobeying God's word, choosing death over life. And as a result, we were separated from God, entirely helpless and incapable of saving ourselves from the vain and dissatisfying power and curse of sin. So our end is 100% guaranteed. You know what it is? Miserable death. But not only death, eternal judgment in eternal hell. That's what we deserve for rejecting God and rebelling against his word over and over and over again. But it doesn't have to be that way. God offers a way of salvation and rescue. You can receive mercy and grace because God in his mercy had a plan from the very beginning to redeem a people, to know his great joy by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died, to take our place as a substitute on the cross for our sins. He paid the debt that we would have paid in eternal hell. Jesus paid it all by his sinless death. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it? On the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from death. They saw how they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. They saw how Jesus walked the road to perdition, but conquered death by his resurrection. Jesus Christ conquered the grave. He conquered sin, Satan, and death forever, that whosoever would repent and believe in him will not die and go to hell, but participate in his resurrection forever. And by his resurrection, we too are delivered from death to new life, from darkness to light, and have the power to persevere through persecution by the power of the Holy Spirit, to final victory, to endless joy, to the presence of our Christ, the King, where every need, every want, every desire will be utterly and thoroughly satisfied in him. If you're here and you're not a Christian or not sure that you are, we're so glad that you're here. But because Jesus is true and real and you're here, because God brought you here, 2,000 years of church history and the witness of millions of persecuted Christians around the world backs me up. So I'm going to be confident and ask you these questions. Do you know this great joy that we are speaking of? When suffering comes your way, what holds you up if you're not a Christian? What sustains you if you're not a Christian? Everyone suffers and struggles in this life that's guaranteed because we live in a fallen and broken world. But let me tell you that it will not get better. Humanity has not gotten better. It will only get harder. Suffering and pain is promised to us. So while you are still alive, while still God gives you breath today, let me encourage you, let me challenge you, repent of your sins this moment. Believe in the gospel that I just shared with you and trust him with your life today. If you want to know more about how to follow Jesus, I'll be standing at the back door at the end of service or talk to somebody. Please don't leave this place. If you're not a Christian, talk to somebody smiling next to you and ask them, how do I follow this Jesus? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let me ask you again, how are you doing in your persecution? Are you ready to embrace persecution together as New Covenant Baptist Church? And say to our God, as long as you are here with us, come what may. Are you willing to plunge into righteous persecution by bold and faithful evangelism, which we have perhaps neglected for way too long? Let's pray, brothers and sisters, for courage together. Let's encourage one another toward good deeds. Are you willing to take up the cross today and tomorrow, knowing that there is a great reward? Are you being equipped by discipling, by inviting others and helping others follow Jesus? Are you picking up the Bible daily to whet your spiritual appetite for Christ and heaven? Abundant, endless joys, a great cloud of witnesses, and the most glorious victory to endless praise of our Jesus, the Lord and King. 
is what we can experience now and hope in because of Christ, because he is with us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-9 through 9 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May we look upon him and live this life for him until that day. May we be happy in Jesus today and forever, no matter what trials come our way. Amen. Let me conclude with these parting words of comfort for those who are burdened from Charles Spurgeon. O child of suffering, be thou patient. God has not passed thee over in his providence. He who is the feeder of sparrows will also furnish you with what you need. Sit not down in despair. Hope on, hope ever. Take up the arms of faith against the sea of trouble and your opposition shall yet end your distresses. There is one who careth for you. His eye is fixed on you. His heart beats with pity for your woe. And his hand, omnipotent, shall yet bring you the needed help. The darkest cloud shall scatter itself in the showers of his mercy. The blackest gloom shall give place to the morning. He, if thou art one of his family, will bind up thy wounds and heal thy broken heart. Doubt not his grace because of thy tribulation, but believe that he loveth thee as much in seasons of trouble as in times of happiness. What a serene and quiet life might you lead if you would leave providing to the God of providence. With a little oil in, his, in the cruise and a handful of meal in the barrel, Elijah outlived the famine and you will do the same. If God cares for you, why need you care too? Can you trust him for your soul and not for your body? He has never refused to bear your burdens. He has never fainted under their weight. Come then, soul, have done with fretful care and leave all thy concerns in the hand of a gracious God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these words of the Beatitudes which every child of God should be marked by. Father, help us to humble ourselves before your word, to examine our hearts and our lives by these words, by these qualities. Help us to be more like Christ. Help us to not fear. Help us to not be anxious. Help us to look to you. Help us to follow you. Help us to praise you, even through the trials and sufferings and storms of this life. We thank you for New Covenant Baptist Church. Continue to use it to be a radiating, shining light to this county and beyond that many who do not have the hope of Christ will be drawn to you by our love for you and for one another. Be our living hope, we pray, today until that day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.